Hello, this is Supriti from Newslaundry.com, bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Tuesday, the 1st of February. India reported over 1,67,000 new COVID-19 cases in the last 24 hours. 1,192 fatalities were recorded in the same time period, which takes the country's total death toll to over 4,96,000. The toll includes 638 backlog deaths that Kerala added to its tally of fatalities on Monday, according to data from the Union Health Ministry. The number of new cases was 20.41% fewer than Monday's count of 2,9,000. The daily test positivity rate also dropped to 11.69% from 15.77% on Monday, according to government data. The Indian Express reported that Maharashtra has allowed national parks, safaris and tourist attractions to operate on a normal schedule. The administration also lifted the limit on how many people can attend funerals and permitted spas to operate at 50% capacity. Bengal has changed the night curfew schedule in the state to 11pm to 5am rather than the earlier 10pm to 5am, according to Mint. According to Chief Minister Mamta Banerjee, restaurants, clubs and cinema halls can operate at 75% capacity. Parks and tourist attractions will also reopen. After the state's coronavirus situation improved, schools and institutions in Jharkhand were allowed to resume today, according to PTI. Schools in Tamil Nadu reopened for classes 1 to 12 today, according to IANS. The state administration reiterated that coronavirus-related measures must be properly implemented in the state. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration gave full approval to pharmaceutical manufacturer Moderna's coronavirus immunization for adults on Monday, according to Reuters. It was previously only allowed to be used in an emergency. After the vaccine developed by Pfizer and BioNTech, This is the second COVID-19 vaccine to get complete approval from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. According to The Guardian, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said that protesters protesting against vaccine mandates embarrassed the country's citizens. On Saturday, protests erupted in response to a new law requiring truck drivers entering Canada to be properly vaccinated. Thousands of citizens protested vaccine requirements on Parliament Hill in Ottawa, the country's capital city, and blocked areas of the city with trucks and other vehicles. Finance Minister Nirmala Sitaraman presented the union budget for 2022 today. She did not propose any changes to the income tax slabs when she presented the union budget, according to Indian Express. She did, however, recommend that the maximum tax deduction for both federal and state government employees be raised from 10 to 14 percent. She claims that the action will enable state government employees to receive equal social security benefits as federal government employees. Apart from that, Sitaraman stated that digital asset income will be taxed at 30 percent, the highest tax bracket in the country. The finance minister stated that losses from virtual digital asset trades cannot be adjusted against other sources of income. The giver will be responsible for the tax on cryptocurrency delivered as gifts. According to industry estimates, India has 15 million to 20 million cryptocurrency investors, with total crypto assets of roughly 40,000 crores, or 5.2 billion US dollars. Sitaraman also stated that the Reserve Bank of India will launch a digital currency using blockchain and other supporting technology in the next financial year. 
In five big infrastructure projects, the government proposed expanding highways in the country by 25,000 kilometers, allocating 60,000 crore rupees to the Nal Sejal scheme, five riverlink projects across various states, an additional 48,000 crore in the PM housing scheme, and boosting infrastructure development in the Northeast. Moreover, the finance minister also announced the auction of 5G spectrum in 2022, proposed setting up 75 digital banking units in 75 districts, and also announced a national program for mental health, among other things. Amazon plans to close Westland Books, an Indian publishing business it brought from Trent Limited, a Tata Group subsidiary in 2017, Scroll reported. Westland CEO Gautam Padmanabhan officially told senior personnel of Amazon's decision on Tuesday, according to people familiar with the issue. Westland was purchased five years ago with the goal of adding an Indian arm to Amazon's existing book publishing, e-commerce and internet services companies, which it runs globally through Amazon Publishing. The reasons for Amazon's exit from Westland and its choice to shut it down rather than sell it have not been revealed. Employees informed Scroll that they were assured that steps would be taken to move them within the Amazon system. After a comprehensive examination, an Amazon spokesperson confirmed to Mint Lounge via email that they have made the painful choice to no longer operate Westland. The spokesperson said that they are working closely with the employees, authors, agents and distribution partners on this transition and they remain committed to innovating for customers in India. Westland has authored a variety of well-received works on politics, society and the arts, as well as highly acclaimed and award-winning literary fiction. According to Scroll, this is the first time in recent years that a major English-language publishing business in India has announced its closure rather than a sale. Listeners, as you know, News Laundry has already begun covering the 2022 Assembly elections. Five states, which are Goa, Manipur, Punjab, Uttarakhand and Uttar Pradesh, are all voting to elect new assemblies next month. A team of News Laundry reporters and producers are going to all five states to bring you crown reports without any frills, fear or favour. But in order to do so, we need your support. So head over to newslaundry.com sena and contribute to our NL Sena project. While you're at the website, you can check out my colleague Nabil Ahmed's report on why political parties spend huge amounts for advertisements on Google. His report is titled, Making Sense of AdSense, Why Political Parties Spent Big Bucks Advertising on Google. We are constantly trying to push ourselves to bring you the news coverage you deserve. As an independent news organization that does not rely on ads or favors from corporations or the government, your support is all we ask for. So if you aren't a subscriber already, become one today. Subscribe to newslaundry.com and pay to keep news free. Our lowest subscription starts at only 300 rupees a month. The IFSO unit of the special cell of the Delhi police has arrested three men on suspicion of defrauding people by impersonating government officials and supplying the COVID vaccination booster shot, as well as hacking into their target's WhatsApp accounts to send distress messages to their contacts for financial assistance. Manish Kumar, an Agra resident, admitted that he, accompanied by two others, learnt WhatsApp hacking during the lockdown last year and sought to defraud others. A case was filed at the cyber cell on January 1st on the complaint of a 45-year-old man. He stated that he was contacted by anonymous individuals claiming to be from the Prime Minister's office. 
They offered to sign the victim up for the booster shot and gathered his information. They also demanded the OTP that had been sent to the victim's phone. Later, the accused hacked into the victim's WhatsApp account and requested 50,000 rupees from his brother. A call recording of the event was published by the police, in which the caller impersonates a vaccine department employee and asks the victim to join a conference call to book a booster dose centre. Kumar admitted to the police that he learned how to hack WhatsApp accounts via YouTube tutorials, according to the police. The accused cell phones as well as other gadgets utilised in the crime were found. Kumar is additionally accused in three molestation cases, and police are investigating the trio's possible participation in other cheating crimes. A legislation that would make protests that influence the country's relations with foreign nations illegal is being considered by the members of the Maldives' main ruling party. Circulated within the Maldives Democratic Party, it comes against the backdrop of protests in the Indian Ocean country over the perceived proximity of the Ibrahim Sol-e government to India. The bill, titled The Bill to Stop All Actions That Could Negatively Affect Relations Established by the Maldives with Foreign Countries, is seen as effectively targeting the Indian Out campaign and is expected to be tabled when the country's legislative body, Majlis, reconvenes on February 3rd. According to the bill, those who claim that the Maldives is under the political, economic or military control of another country would face a punishment of 20,000 Maldivian rufiyah, as well as six months in prison or a year in house arrest. With the party having an overwhelming majority of 65 in the 87-member parliament, the proposed legislation is expected to go through if brought to the majlis. However, other members of the party believe that even if the legislation passes, it will be heavily amended before it is debated because it will not be acceptable to most members of the ruling party in its current form. During the visit of External Affairs Minister S. Shankar in February 2021, India and the Maldives signed an agreement for the development of the UTF harbour. The initiative would strengthen Maldivian Coast Guard capability, according to the Union Minister, who hailed the two countries as partners in development, partners in security. The India Out campaign is aimed at the presence of military personnel operating aircrafts gifted by the Indian government to the Maldives. While the protesters claim their opposition is limited to the presence of Indian security troops on Maldivian land, the campaign has created anxiety among the substantial Indian expatriate population of teachers, doctors and tourism industry professionals. Last year, the Indian High Commission requested more protection after alerting the Maldives government to the fact that its diplomats were being targeted in social media posts on a regular basis. On the one-year anniversary of a coup that snuffed out modest steps towards democracy, streets in some of Myanmar's largest cities were almost deserted today, as opponents of military rule called for a silent strike, Reuters reported. After a year of upheaval following the ousting of a government led by Aung San Suu Kyi, the US, the UK and Canada have imposed further sanctions on Myanmar's military. The collapse of Suki's government sparked massive public protests, with security forces killing hundreds in the ensuing crackdowns. As a result, demonstrators have formed People's Defence Forces, some of which have allied with ethnic minority terrorists to combat the army's well-equipped soldiers. On the anniversary, activists asked people to stay inside and businesses to close in a silent show of defiance. According to the state-run Myanmar Allen newspaper, 
Military authorities attempted to prevent today's strike by arresting more than 70 people in the last three days for promoting the action on social media. Business owners were also warned that if they listened to the activists, their properties would be confiscated. They were also told that protesters might face lengthy prison sentences. Nevertheless, photographs on social media showed almost vacant streets in places including Yangon and Mandalay. That's all the news we have for you today. Have a good day or a good night, depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.